it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hello, welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, Congressman Buddy Carter just came up in the elevator with him. He's going to be on with us shortly from Georgia. He's got a lot going on today, including what we're tackling with China, TikTok, as well as he's got his own uh uh, vehicle Data Access Caucus going, so it's going to be interesting. I think most people can relate, unless you're talking our subway system here. Uh, and then, of course, we'll take your calls, and you can always write me, briankillme.com. Just click on comments. It'll come right to me. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. This is alarming, though, because just yet another example of how Joe Biden and so many Democrats will rally the banners and man the ramparts to defend Chinese communists. That's exactly what happened on the coronavirus in early 2020. That's what happened last month. Here you go. Uh, That is Senator Tom Cotton. Relations with China reach a new low and tensions between nations have never been so high. Although China's evil regime steals, cheats and tortures, President Biden told us he knew how to handle President Xi. What happened? Number two. And I go, I would vote for Trump before I'd vote for Biden. Just because I think with Biden, like, he's no, he's he's gone. Like, you know he's gone. It's You're going to be relying on his cabinet. And I knew his cabinet would be this sideshow of diversity. And it's 100% true, Joe Rogan, 2024. Joe is sounding more like a candidate. Again, as Rogan points out, what even did, what even Dem seem to know. At 80, he's shot. While Trump at 78 seems ready for a rematch. Can anyone on the right step up and stop the former president? Or should they? We'll examine. Number one. I have made clear how I felt about um, the update to the criminal code. One of them was to allow dangerous murderers and rapists get out of jail early. That was opposed by many people, including me. Lawlessness. The last legs from D.C. Uh, Easy on crime bills. Demise on the crackdown on Antifa's raid on Copland in Atlanta. Americans are showing they're ready to... Bask, uh, uh, Bask, uh, support the blue uh, again. Will Dems wake up to this reality? Uh, let's discuss it. So what am I talking about? So there's this huge training center that's being built uh, outside Atlanta. And it's a place where uh, police officers can get the best training in the world. It's, put to, uh, it's actually financed by a, fo- a police foundation, and it's cutting edge. It's been the target now of two attacks, including one that happened on Saturday. Guys uh, and some women, Drexen masks, go ahead and firebomb Molotov cocktails and took uh, and just attacked in an organized fashion, an organized way. This seems like to be an Antifa operation. They arrest, they arrest just about 35 people. I want to unwind what is going on here. I want to find out. Who's financing this? How they can afford to do it? Why they seem to be targeting cops and why no one seems to be actually from Georgia. Think about that. All these attacks happen and no one's actually from the area as far away as France. So a worldwide operation, Canada too, around the country as well. And that is not a terror group, right? The the uh, FBI director said it, Antifa is more of an idea. 
that is, of course, if you're the person on the not the person on the other end of being firebombed, your cop car blown up, or you're being physically attacked, and or at least you have to arrest somebody. That is more than an idea. What is the deal with that? I'm encouraged that people seem to be outraged by it. What I'm really struck by is that the administration's press secretary didn't even know anything about it. She came out and says, you know, I haven't really been following that. You haven't been following that? Are you kidding me? You see people swarm a police academy. You haven't been following it. But if there's an incident that happens to have uh, be controversial, then a body cam, body cam video emerges, that becomes a worldwide incident. But here you have an attack on an entire academy still being constructed, and it seems to have not hit your top ten things to read list. To me, that is absolutely nuts. It is incredible, and it and to me just shows that anybody who thinks the Democrats have found and seen the light when it comes to law enforcement have a long way to go. Here's Gabrielle in Dallas. Uh, Gabrielle was on last night uh, on primetime. Cut five. Well, you know, I'm surprised they published a memo. I'm sure they got a, a they got a copy a long time ago because when you look at a lot of these organizations from New York Times to CNN to many others, many of them defended Antifa time and time again. The New Yorker would write a, an article titled On the Streets with Antifa that was very pro-Antifa and it was very favorable uh, coverage all around. So the fact that that, uh, that manual is, did they really even need it? They were already being a professional PR team for Antifa and a lot of different anarchist groups because they really... Really, they really believe in their mission, albeit they may not say it uh, out loud. So that was a former Antifa member, and they can't believe they're getting a pass on this. If it was if it was another major organization, it was Proud Boys or any of these other idiotic groups, they believe me, it would have been worldwide coverage. But we don't even get it outside Fox. It's crazy. Or outside local Atlanta news. Where is the mayor? Why isn't she outraged by what's happening? Matt Bass, an attorney representing some of the defendants, said this. The state of Georgia has shamefully chosen to pursue domestic terrorism charges against environmental activists engaging in First Amendment uh, protected speech and civil disobedience. My clients will vigorously defend the constitutional rights and look forward to their day in court. Oh, you'll get your day in court. Some of these idiots, one of the reasons they did is they wanted to keep the forest there. They're cutting back the forest. What I would do is I'd make that foundation public. I'd put it on a GoFundMe page and I'd say, look— not only do you need to fix the damage done, I want to make it bigger. Let's double the size of it. Make it be a, a national academy where people come from small uh, from from small towns across America to get elite training, which, by the way, would be a pretty good idea. Uh, we'll talk about that. The other big thing is, remember we told you about the D.C. crime bill, the crime bill that went out of the way to make things easy on criminals, uh, whether it was a jury trial for misdemeanors or whether it was less time for murders. It was so ridiculous. The Democratic mayor said, I don't support this. They overcame her veto after she vetoed it. And then the White House stepped up and says, I'm going to support the Republicans who are blocking it. So you know what they're doing now? They're rescinding it. They're taking it back. I don't even think they're allowed to do that, to take it back after they put it out. Uh, So Police Chief Robert Conti, who obviously is against it, talked about how dangerous this would have been cut to. What would you say to this idea that D.C. is more dangerous than other cities? I travel to cities and talk to chiefs of police all across the country. That's just emphatically not true. But the mayor knows it would. It is true and knows it would get worse. Cut one. I have made clear how I felt about um, the update to the criminal code. One of them was to allow dangerous murderers and rapists get out of jail early. Now, you can support that policy. I don't have a problem with that. We have one for people going up to the age of 24. You can support it. 
but don't cram it into a bill. Uh, that was opposed by many people, including me. So the Democratic mayor, the Democratic president, the problem is the president and the White House did not communicate to Democrats in the House who voted against the Republicans' effort to block this from happening. Now, why is it even an issue, federal government in D.C.? Because Washington, D.C. is not a state, and it shouldn't be. Constitutionally, it never should be, even though the Democrats are trying to do that. And why would they do that? Because most likely it's all Democrats, and they get an extra state uh, in their in their quiver. And that would not be something Republicans would or should uh, sign off on. So there you go. Real quick, on 2024, I was discussing this with uh, Congressman Buddy Carter on what's going to be happening. On uh, 2024, it seems pretty clear by the tone of Joe Biden yesterday speaking to the firefighters union that he is running. And he's talking about those horrible rich people and raising taxes. Cut eight. I'm a capitalist. You want to go make a lot of money, go do it, but at least pay something. So we put an incredible burden on them. We made them pay 15% tax. That's less than you, you got. You guys pay a hell of a lot more than that. And guess what? We were able to afford everything and still cut the deficit. Republicans are not going to go to bat for billionaires. They don't support them anyway, but they're just going to go back for fairness. And they don't. The thing that's different about Democrats and Republicans, the Republicans don't resent billionaires. They love the fact that they take their money and they want to encourage them to invest it, buy that building, grow that business, expand those franchises because it brings more jobs, more mentorship, more opportunity. That's why successful people, when you get it the right way, are encouraged to invest, and a lot of time that results in tax breaks. It doesn't mean you like rich people more than others, but the people with capital are the ones that grow the economy that provide opportunities for you, me, and everybody else. That's what. That's the difference. But if you turns out they're paying one percent in tax, Republicans should not stand uh, in front of that train. Congressman Buddy Carter's next. He'll talk about all that, including a flat tax. Uh, that he would just charge straight across the board. He also is on the Budget, Energy, and Commerce Committee. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, What exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Congressman Buddy Carter is right here. If you're watching Fox Nation, you can see him. He's on uh, the Budget Energy Commerce Committee. Uh, joins us now. Uh, a trip out of Georgia, not in Washington. Congressman, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I mean, first off, the president yesterday is talking about raising taxes again. He said, I'm going to raise taxes. That Does that worry you that one of the big things of the Trump era was the tax reform and it looks like this president wants to undo it? Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm convinced if you look at his policies, particularly as it relates to this to the southern border, you'll see that he wants to do just the opposite of what Donald Trump wanted to do. If, if you look at the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, we had this economy humming. I mean, that, that really was a stimulus that, that got our economy going. And, uh, and the first thing he did when he got into office was declare war on fossil fuels, declare war on American energy. Are you worried about the Willow Project up in Alaska? This- Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, when, when he did away with the Keystone XL pipeline. We've been up and running around this week. Exactly. And, and you know, we need that. We need that to get our economy going again. We, need, we all know that energy independence is important in national security. We understand that, except for this president doesn't understand it. I mean, this war on fossil fuels that has led to, to the prices in gasoline, and it's unbelievable. The State of the Union address, this president right. wants to blame high gas prices on the fact on, on big oil and gas because they have not invested – in the infrastructure for for the future, when he sits there and says we're only going to need oil and gas for about ten more years, and then we won't need it anymore, it create laughter in the, I know. in the room. Unbelievable, right? So, uh, so how do you feel? You you presented something relatively controversial to some: the, the Fair Tax Act. Exactly. So it would just say thirty percent across the board. Well, it's actually twenty three percent. It's actually twenty three percent. It's a consumption tax. Uh, it's it's fair. It's flat. It's it, it's simple. And you know, in this way, you would control how much you're going to pay in taxes. If you're going to buy a boat, you're going to pay taxes. You don't want to pay taxes. It would take don't the place the of an income tax. Exactly. And, and, you know, look, people don't like taxes, but they much prefer a consumption tax over a, a payroll tax or, or, or over an income tax. And that gives them control. And that's why the establishment doesn't like it because they lose control. Right now mm-hmm. they control you. They can decide what they want to give you credit for and not give you credit for. And a consumption tax, you decide. Right. If you want to buy a boat, you're going to pay taxes. If you don't want to pay the taxes, don't buy the boat. So the president made a cartoon of it and said, look, these, these guys want to give you a flat tax. They want to give you a, a, a VAT tax. Um, so how do you feel about that? Well, it certainly brought attention to it. And, and when the president uh, when the, when the president dishes on it, then, then certainly that brings attention to, to what we're trying to do. I mean let's face it. Look at, um, look at Florida. Look at Texas. Both of them have consumption taxes. They don't have the income tax. They're doing fine. Two of the strongest economies in the world right there, and they're doing fine. 
the reason that the establishment, the reason the Democrats, the administration are against this is because they lose control, because this gives control to the consumer. You decide how much you want to pay in taxes. I do want to talk about what happened in Atlanta over the weekend. Can you believe the press secretary didn't even know about it? You have dozens of people in black masks and outfits in coordination, firebomb, which now is dubbed Copland, an expansion of an academy, police academy put financed by a foundation and it's not even making it's not even making news in the uh, it's not even turning elbow turning heads in the White House. Why is that? Is it a big deal in Georgia? It is a big deal in Georgia. It should and, be. And and the irony of this is that it shows just how important it is that our that our, we have police protection, that we have training for these police officers. This is an example of why we need this so badly. And, you know, look, we are a country of law and order. And if we don't have law and order, then we're we're not going to be a country at all. I've been in New York City here the, the, uh, for the last 24 hours, and I've met with some people. And they have uh, – one of the things they pointed out to me is how reassured they are because of the increased police presence on the subway c- system. And that's very important to them. And, and we need to have that in our country. People need to feel safe when they go out of their homes. And cops have to be vilified. We've got to pay them more. We've got to train Absolutely. them better. And we've got to get more of them. People don't want to do it. You see stuff like that? You're going to tell me some parents have a 19-year-old walks in and says, Mom, Dad, I want to be a cop. And they see that on video being firebombed, Molotov cocktails, police cars blown up and targeted. They're going to go, no, try to do something else. That's why the morale, the morale is so low now with the, with our public safety. And who can blame them? I mean, as you, as you point out, who would want to do that anymore and, 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 and it, protect ourselves? I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. We know the, the troubles you guys had in picking Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Have, have the wounds healed uh, among all factions of the Republican Party where they can be productive? They they are healing. Uh, there's still a process. There's still a healing process. You were there from day through. one. With I, I have. I've been, when I first got to Congress, I've I've been a big fan of Kevin McCarthy's, and I continue to be. And I think Kevin is the leader that we need right now. He's the one who can pull us together. Um, we we have a, a big tent. We have a very diverse group. There's no question about that. With a lot of strong um, strong minds, and and that's okay. But we all believe in the same thing, and we all are after the same common goal, and that is to make America great and continue to make America great. What about these investigations? I mean there's some stories that uh, Jim Jordan, who was our guest on Friday, has got so much on his plate. He's doing the weaponization of government as well as the oversight, uh, and it, it might be too much. Have you heard that? I and you know I've got full confidence in Jim Jordan. He can handle a lot. As far as There's no question, no question about that. But there is a lot to be had here. There's a lot to go over. Now we've got other talent out there too. Jim's not the only talented one we have in in Congress. So we've got other people who are working on those committees. The weaponization of the DOJ of the I. Uh, of of the FBI, all of those are important. It's important for Americans to understand and to get the bottom of this. Right. Um, do you? Uh, we watched Ron DeSantis stand up to corporate America and take on Disney, and since that time, we have not seen corporate America really get involved that much in politics, like they did in your state when it came to the All Star Game, Delta Airlines, and everything like that. When they misconstrued the election law reform. What do you think corporate America should know about this? I think that they've learned an important lesson. I've met with Delta. I've met with Coke, and and both of them have said that you know from from now on, you know we're going to tread this very lightly, and 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 we're going we're not going to just jump out like we did before. 
And and I think there are some regrets there. I'm not speaking for them, but at the same time, I think they've learned an important lesson. You know, they, they don't need to get involved in these type of things, and I think they understand that now. They feel the pressure from employees. Absolutely. In some yeah. cases, the well, next generation. And, and sometimes I felt like they were blaming it on employees. And, you know, we this is what our employees wanted us to do. Well, come on, guys. You're the ones Who's the boss? Shit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So listen, uh, Congressman, thanks so much. Buddy Carter's got a busy day in New York. Stay safe. Uh, stay in your Uber. Uh, and of course, uh, good luck in Washington. I know that uh, there's a lot of pressure on you guys to be productive because without that, it's going to be tough keeping the House and winning back the Senate, even though the map is favorable for you. For your immediate plans, what are you looking at? I'm, I'm looking at uh, continuing to work on the Energy and Commerce Committee on prescription drug pricing on 230 and the Internet and what we can do. And maybe running for Senate one of these days. Hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> well, who knows, Governor? Uh, Congressman Buddy Carter, thanks so much. Thank you. Jackie Heinrich in Washington next. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And I go, I would vote for Trump before I'd vote for Biden. Just because I think with Biden, like, he's no, he's, he's gone. Like, you know he's gone. It's, you're going to be relying on his cabinet. And I knew his cabinet would be this sideshow of diversity, and which is exactly what it is. I mean, let, that one person who stole all the women's clothes, I, uh, that Sam Brinton, we, we highlighted on the podcast yesterday, like, that's a diversity hire. You, you just said, oh, look at this, a man who dresses like a woman and has a beard and a mustache but also wears lipstick. This is perfect for us. I don't give a f- what this guy's good at or bad at. I don't give a f- what their credentials are. This makes us look like we're inclusive. This makes us look like we're on the right side. So let's, let's hire this person. Uh, that is one of the most powerful voices uh, in the country, Joe Rogan, say, talking about President uh, Biden, who's bad about, according to the AP, I believe in Reuters, has a 41 percent approval rating and seems to be uh, closer and closer to declaring for, to run for reelection. How close is it? Jackie Heinrich joins us now from Washington, our uh, Fox News White House correspondent. Jackie, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Hey, so there, there's a sense sometimes inside Republican circles that the president lost his fastball, and he will be 82 by the time, if he does, does win re-election, 86 by the time he's done. Is there a plan B that you've heard that is, that's got some, uh, got some uh, juice behind it? No, definitely not. Um, all of my sources, you know— expect Biden to run. He's been saying that he intends to run. I mean, you heard the first lady a couple of weeks ago um, during her trip to Africa say, what do you guys have to hear to believe it? He's running. Um, It's more of this speculation about why he hasn't made his announcement yet. Now, I know that there was an expectation a few months ago that he might make that um, campaign announcement sometime shortly after the State of the Union. Sources I tell me that that was never really the target date. It was always going to be sometime after, meaning it could be a few months after. And they've always been looking at April, which is sort of, I guess, when you know Obama had, had announced and that's sort of their marker internally. But they there are reasons for that. They wanted to, you know, after the State of the Union, let Biden have his moment, talk about what he's done in the first half of his term, then do this 20-state blitz where he was going to tout his achievements, which I don't think they actually hit 20 states. I, I think they hit like six so far. So they're going to re-up that effort. They wanted to get through the first year of the uh, Ukraine war anniversary, have him, you know, talk about his 
efforts to keep NATO aligned, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other side of it was they wanted to watch what Republicans did and basically find a line of attack that they could use um, in his his next campaign. And I think the Social Security, Medicare stuff really kind of fell apart at the State of the Union. They've been doing a little uh, reshuffling there, but all um, all indicators tell me that they're on for for April. Um, vaguely around that time, but it but that it will happen and that there's no no one else down the pike that's, you know, being considered at all. And and what about the you think the ticket's intact too? Yep. Uh so when the president uh the president sees or when you see the Wall Street Journal story and you see the comments that come out from China, uh I've never seen anything quite like this this direct uh from the uh from the Chinese leader himself. Uh, He came out and says, Western countries led by the U.S. have implemented all-around containment, encirclement, and suppression against us, bringing unprecedented severe challenges to our country's development. He really blames us behind it. Uh, And it looks as though, you know, he seems as confrontational as ever. In the big picture, you can't control China's actions. But wasn't this president billed as somebody who had this relationship that was going to bring a maturity to foreign policy that that wasn't there before? I mean, you can't say that between Russia, Ukraine, Iran and China, that things are going well. No, and I think it's also notable that after Biden ordered the Chinese spy balloon shot down and he finally made some remarks on that after, you know, leaving everyone wondering what was really going on for 10 or so days. um, And he said, I plan to talk to Xi Jinping sometime soon. That didn't happen. Um, I know that the State Department, you know, Antony Blinken talked to his Chinese counterpart on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference, and that was sort of going to be a, a marker of where things stand. If that conversation didn't end up happening, it would have been a, a really bad reflection of the state of U.S.-China relations. But it did. And so now the question is, when is that President Xi, President Biden conversation going to happen? Um, you know, I find it significant that Biden said that it it would. And then suddenly it's just sort of a, a question that's lingering out there. Will it happen? When will it happen? Is he, does he plan for it to happen? You know, the White House said a few, few days after that, that there wasn't a formal ask um, from the White House. And then they, you know, sources said, well, they, we first want to see if we can get the diplomats to talk. But now that we're at that point, you know, where do they go next? And I, I think there are a lot of things weighing on um, the, the China situation right now with respect to the Ukraine uh, invasion. I know that you know the, the officials here at the White House have been warning for some time that they are concerned that China is going to provide lethal aid to Russia. And every time they they raise that concern, they they make note that it hasn't happened yet, and that Chinese haven't made their decision yet. And I interviewed John Kirby last Friday, and I said, "Can I read into this? You know, the fact that you guys were considering downgrading intelligence to prove that they were considering what, uh, providing lethal aid because they've been denying it." And you've been, you know, raising the alarm that this concern is real, and yet you haven't downgraded that intelligence. And every time you talk about it, you say, but they haven't yet. Am I supposed to read into this and think, okay, there's still a real chance that maybe they won't, and you're giving them them space to do that uh, in your foreign policy speak? And he said, his answer to me was telling, it was, we hope that China does the right thing. So I, I think that there are a lot of sort of balls in the air right now, but I don't know that the American voter necessarily pays attention to the granular details there and, and can read between the lines of you know how diplomats talk to each other and and sort of get a, a clear assessment of where things stand. I think that uh, you know from 
the G20 meeting on the sidelines of the G20 to the spy balloon and any number of other challenges between uh, the president and President Xi on coronavirus origins and everything else. I mean, it it has not been by any measure a a good reflection for for Joe Biden's strength as a president. So he's got some stuff to prove. um, And it's definitely going to be an issue in the 2024 campaign uh, and certainly one that Republicans will seize on. Sure. And I know Chinese foreign minister, same thing, quote, if the U.S. does not hit the brakes, but it continues to speed down the wrong path, no amount of guardrail can prevent derailing. And there will surely be conflict and confrontation with China and Russia working together. The world will have a driving force. The more unstable the world becomes, the more imperative it is for China and Russia to steadily advance their relations. And then you could factor in Iran there and the relationship that's growing between the attack drones and now the missile technology that Russia seems to be providing to them. So mm-hmm. the, the world seems to be dividing before our eyes. Germany uh, meeting with the president, some encouraging words that there'll be retribution if China gives lethal aid to Russia. But what would that be in a united Europe denying the market for China? Well, China's got to say in that, too, because there's a lot of manufacturing, German manufacturing there, as there is American manufacturing there. I wonder if American business is getting the message and watching this, because I can never remember uh, things as uh, as heated as this. I think it was significant that you had the German chancellor at the White House last week and there was no press conference and that they both have a sort of different approach to China. Um, Chancellor Schultz has said that he wants China to mediate a, a peaceful settlement to the Ukraine war. And the Biden administration is talking about potentially enacting sanctions against China. They're, these are two different approaches. Uh, sanctions would be tough for Germany to swallow. They're, you know, China's their number one trading partner. At the same time, you know, I think that the Ukraine war should have been a wake-up call to all of Europe. They're in an energy crisis. They're also now in a, in a you know, ammunition and arms uh, crisis. They're having to consider stockpile concerns as they want to keep this, you know, Russia's footprint within Ukraine, not let it go into NATO territory. But as they're pledging all of this aid, you know, the speed with which things are delivered and, and speed with which Ukraine can actually make a a shift, like turn the tide of this war, has really been um, you know, a wake-up call. And I, I think you heard uh, Jen Stoltenberg, you know, NATO Secretary General, voicing those concerns, stockpile concerns for the long term. And yet, you know, we've been telling NATO, the U.S. has been telling NATO for years, you guys need to meet your 2% GDP commitment, spend 2% of your GDP on, um, you know, defense spending and they no one has really been um, you know been doing that for years so the u.s and nato allies certainly need to look at this in the grand scheme of things and and recognize that it's not just you know china with respect to russia's war in in ukraine but it's also you know taiwan is on the horizon we got to be thinking about how the landscape would shift um, if there's a, a major crisis that uh, demands our attention. And I, I think that that's going to be a test for whoever the future president is, but certainly cause to take a stronger line right now. Uh, listen, uh, President, we gave a whole bunch of money to Turkey. Turkey is standing in our way uh, in allowing uh, Finland and Sweden to join NATO. Where's the pressure? India is investing, not only buying oil, but investing in Russia. Where's the pressure on India? These people are in some way, shape or form our allies and we do have influence. I don't see any pressure. 
uh, you know, they've been very mute on on India, and that's one area I think that we could do some some better reporting on shining light on that issue. Um, you know, India's a huge, huge, um, you know, country, and obviously, you know, it's it, their money is keeping Russia afloat um, and and funding this war in a lot of ways. But when it comes to NATO and and Turkey and whether what the U.S. is or isn't doing about Finland and Sweden, I've been asking this question within the administration and and within you know foreign policy sort circles, not just from the U.S. Trying to get a sort of clear read about where things stand. My understanding is that Turkey is okay with Finland, and they're not okay with Sweden. They see this issue with the Kurds as as a an issue that would determine Erdogan's election. And so they're not willing to open the door to Sweden because Erdogan thinks that he wouldn't win. And yet they also don't have a date for their election because there's, you know, uh, earthquakes and several local issues that have sort of put a question mark there on the timeline. But you've got the June meeting coming up and Biden had a Rose Garden event, you know, last summer saying NATO's door is open. I've brokered this deal with Turkey to get Finland and Sweden in. And now you're coming up on this June meeting and Putin's going to seize on any moment he can to show that there are fractures in NATO and that maybe we're not as aligned as, as the president and all the allies think that we are. Um, the Biden administration needs to nail this down before the NATO summit in July, also before the June meeting um, with the ministers or else it's going to give Putin, you know, a crack to sort of split open. And what's going to be interesting is what does Finland do? Because if Turkey's ready to let Finland in, but not Sweden, up until now they've been a package deal, you know, you have to feel for the Finns. Like, do you do you hang out there and, and leave yourself at risk? They, bo they border Russia. Um, so they're really, you know, in a dire sort of position or do you get in while you can? Because if, you know, any day, any, anything could change the trajectory of this war. A chemical weapon on, on the battlefield could, you know, spill into a NATO country and trigger Article 5. Um, they're in a, in a situation where they're the most at risk. So how do they respond to this? And, and how quickly can uh, the Biden administration, the NATO mm -hmm. allies, push Turkey on, on Sweden? I don't know that they can because they are saying it's an election issue for Erdogan. So this is going to be a complex thing right. with a deadline that's coming up soon. And lastly, uh, Jackie, real quick, how could the press secretary yesterday not have an answer to the question where the president stands on Atlanta and the, the hit on Copland by what seems to be Antifa? Listen. We have not been I've not heard any discussions about this protest over the weekend. So we'd have to go back to the team and see where we are, where we're standing and and uh, a response on that. Just really? I mean, how unprepared are you? Does it really matter that much? How many times have academies attacked with Molotov cocktails and firebombs? Well, especially heading into a 2024 reelection campaign when, you know, defund the police was a, a movement that harms Democrats writ large and that this president tried to sort of distance himself from, they've got to be up on this kind of news. When you've got attacks on law enforcement, and by the way, you know, this is a, an ongoing issue that started back in, what, January was the first attack where the uh, protester was killed, and there's been, you know, sort of um, flare-ups there ever since. This should have been on their radar long before the incident on Sunday, and they certainly should have been ready to answer that question Monday morning. Yeah, we'll hope to see if it's going to be answered today. Uh, Jackie Heinrich, thanks so much. Always great.
Thanks, Brian. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, she does a great job. one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll have a chance to take your calls for the first time today. There's a lot going on. 2024-2, Republicans against Republicans. They are shadow boxing at each other. And for those who people say, those people say, well, Trump's 78. He's past his prime. You weren't watching over the weekend. His endurance uh, and mental dexterity is where it ever was. Uh, fan or not, even John Oliver, the comedian from HBO, said he still got it. Uh, game on. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome his family. He's actually not coming to work enough. Host of One Nation and the Brian Kilmeade Radio Show, Brian Kilmeade. Do you remember your family? I, 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 I have photos there, and there, sketches. There are like, is there some is there outside of this building so you, which you never leave? Right. You have pictures on your desk. See, you ask them questions. Yes. You attack me. Yes. And by the way, the only thing, I am very scared of your audience. Yes. They are, they're pumped up and happy, but almost too happy. I can't decide if it's UFC or WWE. Yeah. If I had to make a choice. It's oh, yeah. uh, will... a problem for hosts at Fox and Friends when they come on here. They're not used to being liked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Taking off their tops right now, right? <laughs> That's because it's so hot in here. I do it too. Um, so that was uh, Gutfeld last night. Stayed about six fifteen. Uh, it was good. A good show. Jamie Lasau. Every time he's on, Vivek Ramaswamy. It, uh, I think Jamie's going to vote for him. He ran over. He he absolutely won over uh, Jamie Lasau because uh, it's going to be interesting to see him in these uh, debates if he gets up there. He said the word is he hasn't seen more than six or seven. That's what the word inside presidential circles are. Six or seven percent or? No, six or seven candidates. Oh, okay. So who else could get in? Maybe. Haley, Trump, Pence, Pompeo. And Sununu. Governor Hutchinson. Yeah. But that's Christie. not going yeah. to do it. I mean, that they're right there. Is I don't see Christie. Now I'm not seeing, uh, I don't feel like Christie's going to get in, but maybe we'll have him come in. Um, so I'm just going to some of our emails, some of the people that wrote us. Just said, hey, Brian, I agree with you 99% of the time. I have to agree with you, disagree with your position on Marjorie Taylor Greene. You may not like her saying it's a national divorce, um, like it, but a national divorce is the elegant, is the elephant. He's read elegant in the room. You're open to listening to Nunu, but not standing up to woke companies. Uh, so you shouldn't be open to discussing a national divorce, but you should be open to discussing a national divorce. So roughly, uh, this is Ken who writes me. I just think it's an irresponsible way to talk. We had a national divorce. It ended up with hundreds of thousands of people dead. And if you're a lawmaker, you went in there to bring people together or to get something done. If you're going to go up there and throw up your hands after two years, why'd you try for the job? That, to me, is quitting. I'm finding commonality. J.D. Vance found something to work with Sherrod Brown with. And that worked. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hello, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by Colonel Alan West. Bring us inside the border and the kidnapping that took place. Uh, four Americans uh, actually right, shots fired as they crossed the border into Mexico. A kidnapping takes place. You're talking about four civilians in a in a car, in a minivan, with a with a license plate that said North Carolina on it. A woman just going there with six kids to get cosmetic surgery, and now they're uh, been kidnapped. We have to get serious about what's happening at the border. Colonel Allen West about that. Uh, Russ Voigt uh, will be joining us, too. Russ Voigt, Center uh, for Renewing America, uh, former OMB director. You want to go inside the numbers, he's the guy to do it when it comes to balancing our checkbook. How about we're $31 trillion over uh, overdrawn in debt, and how about we were three trillion back in 2013? It's going to be hard to recover from the pandemic. I get it, but did it have to be this bad when nobody wants to cut anything? And then we'll do a simulcast from Barney and Company. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is alarming, though, because just yet another example of how Joe Biden and so many Democrats will rally the banners and man the ramparts to defend Chinese communists. That's exactly what happened on the coronavirus in early 2020. That's what happened last month. Relations with China reach a new low and tensions between nations have never been so high. And their evil regime steals, cheats and tortures. President Biden told us he knew he could told us all that. And he said, I can handle President Xi. He's not being handled. Number two. And I go, I would vote for Trump before I'd vote for Biden. Just because I think with Biden, like he's no he's he's gone. Like, you know, he's gone. It's you're going to be relying on his cabinet. And I knew his cabinet would be this sideshow of diversity. Joe Rogan is on the money again, sounding off about 2024, about Joe Biden at 80. He shot. Many people know it, even in his own party. While Trump at 78 seems ready to for a rematch. Can anyone on the right step between this rematch? Can they match the former president? We'll examine. Number one. I have made clear how I felt about um, the update to the criminal code. One of them was to allow dangerous murderers and rapists get out of jail early. That was opposed by many people, including me. Yes, but not by the D.C. Council. Lawlessness, the last legs from the D.C. easy on crime bill, the demise as they try to pull it back and stop the Republicans from taking a bow and blocking it. Then there's the Antifa raid on Copland in Atlanta. The administration doesn't even acknowledge it took place. You firebomb a police academy and the, and the administration doesn't realize it happened? Americans are showing they're ready to bask in the glow of the blue once again. I'm talking about the men and women in blue. Will Dems wake up to this reality? And I thought they were beginning to because the president was going to support Republicans in blocking the D.C. legislation that was going to go easy on crime across the board. But now after seeing with the, this Antifa, seemingly Antifa-inspired attack that seems organized and well-financed, I'm not sure they're willing to do anything. Here's Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked about it. They don't even have a benign stance. They have no stance or no knowledge. We have not been, I've not heard any discussions about this protest over the weekend, so we'd have to protest. go back to the team and see where we are, where we're standing, and, and uh, a response on that. Just This is the first time I'm hearing on about uh, this protest over the weekend. Protest? Are you kidding me? 
This was an attack, 23 charged with terrorism in Atlanta over this cop city protest, including an attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center. He said he was just there in observance. Nobody was from Georgia except maybe two people, and there were dozens of people there. The ages 18 to 49, uh, they were rehearsed. They were financed. They all had the same outfits on. They knew how to handle the tear gas that would come their way and some of the repelling action that the cops have been trained to do. There were people there as far as France going at this. They don't like the way the Copland, this academy, is being built and expanded. Maybe it's touching on the forest. They don't like the idea of just cops training. Only two of those arrested were from Georgia. Their ages uh, up to 50. On the list, names released by the police uh, were booked into DeKalb County Jail. Hopefully they had a terrible night. Matt Bass, an attorney representing some of the defendants, uh, say they've been wrongly charged. They haven't been. This is bad. Meanwhile, the TZ crime bill was so bad and abhorrent that the uh, the Biden administration changed gears without telling fellow Democrats in the House and just decided to support Republicans who were making an effort to block it. And so now the D.C. Council pulled it back. As Senator Haggerty said, there's no mechanism to pull it back. We're blocking it because it was on a glide path. And why was it on a glide path? Because they they overcame the veto of the Democratic mayor, Mayor Bowser. Cut one. I have made clear how I felt about um, the update to the criminal code. One of them was to allow dangerous murderers and rapists get out of jail early. Now, you can support that policy. I don't have a problem with that. We have one for people going up to the age of 24. You can support it, but don't cram it into a bill. Uh, that was opposed by many people, including me. But not enough on the D.C. Council. What do you, who do you out- outraged about? You should have stepped up and said, uh, Mr. President, I need you to help me here. I'm going to lose all my cops if that indeed happens. Now, what exactly happened to Copland over the weekend? Why were they targeted to begin with? Here's Randy Sutton on Fox News. He talked about this training site and how necessary it was and how it was financed by a private foundation cut for. Here we have uh, literally an international group of people that have, that have come here. Uh, they, they, they were literally coming from an event where they changed their clothes into the Antifa uniform, you know, masks and, and wearing black, you know, very cool, and then attacking with, with, with rocks, with bricks, with Molotov cocktails, this, this facility and the police officers. Why isn't the Department of Justice getting off their butts and recognizing that this is a terrorist group and going yeah. after them like they should be? The state charges of domestic terrorism are, are of course, you know, fantastic. But, you know, the, when, I, when I watch an attack like this, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of what took place in 2020 with, with, the, with police officers being, uh, being attacked with rocks and bricks. And let's, let's face it, you know, in, yeah. in my role as, uh, with the Wounded Blue, th- these bricks are deadly. They're deadly weapons. Yeah, and so are Molotov cocktails. Why is this anything but a five-alarm fire? And in terms of Antifa, if you're the president of the United States, this is what you say. Yeah, the Proud Boys, terrible organization. All these groups who did X, Y, and Z, terrible. And Antifa's terrible, too. I watch what happens in Seattle. I see what happens in Los Angeles. I saw some of the work, horrible things they did in Portland. And now I see things in Atlanta. I'm outraged. If you want to be president of the United States, of the whole country, but instead you want to stay at 41%, you want to not acknowledge one terror attack to another? Can you imagine if the Proud Boys or anybody else did this? They'd say this is flat-out anarchy. 
President Trump would say, we're going to I'm going to put the National Guard down there to to save the the cadets from being attacked. And they got to say the president's militarizing uh, the country. But to not even acknowledge it all weekend long and to say, yeah, I'm really concerned that the Democrats getting the reputation of being anti law enforcement. No kidding. You've earned it. You've earned it. So when we come back, I'm going to talk to Colonel Allen West about that, the kidnapping that took place in Mexico, what we should be doing about that. But this administration is extremely slow to act. These are all unifying things. A kidnapping of Americans, we should be on the same page. When it comes to firebombing a, a police station, a police academy, we should be on the same page. When it comes to China, we should be on the same page. But the president doesn't say much, doesn't do many interviews, fold upstairs uh, again. I believe this is the fourth time yesterday. The vice president giggling about conservatives being evil, some ridiculous story that she spouted out. I mean, that's our leadership. That's why Joe Rogan makes so much sense. Just speaks logic, not politics. A logical president will be a successful president. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have not been, I have not heard any discussions about this protest over the weekend, so we'd have to go back to the team and see where we are, where we're standing, and, and uh, a response on that. Just This is the first time I'm hearing on about uh, this protest over the weekend. Is that nuts? Not a protest. They were firebombing. Firebombing. A, a police academy, it's the first time you're hearing it. That is the press secretary for the president, for the White House. With me right now to make sense of it, if it's at all possible, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Why is this not a bigger deal than them? Uh, it's not a bigger deal to them, Brian, because it doesn't fit into their narrative. If this had been some group that they could uh, say were white supremacists or were tied to January 6th, it would be all over the news. And they, of course, be blaming President Trump about it. But when you have a truly a domestic terrorist group like Antifa, which is the reason why you have all of these counties out in eastern Oregon wanted to uh, you know, leave the rest of Oregon because they see what's happening in Portland because of all the protests and violence, billions of dollars of, of property. Property has been destroyed. People have been killed. Police officers have been shot at. And that's what happened in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago was the Antifa members shot at a police officer. They returned fire upon the Antifa member and killed him. And now I guess Antifa has declared war in the state of Georgia. Good luck. Bring it on. Uh, these bunch of mutants uh, who fancy themselves. I'm sure they're from uh, uh, all types. Of, they're not from Georgia, number one. You're from Georgia. They're not yeah. from Georgia. They have yeah, no business there. Yeah, 23 were arrested, only two are from Georgia, and you actually have two people that are foreign nationals. So what does that tell you? These foreign nationals should uh, be treated like terrorists who have come across into our borders, and they're conducting uh, actions of of firebombing, a police training academy. You can't make this up, Brian. So yesterday uh, we found out about a kidnapping of uh, four four people in a— uh, in a white Chevy minivan, they were uh, shot at. A woman was uh, evidently a mother of six, was going to have elective surgery, mm-hmm. brought some of her friends. And these, uh, and these thugs in Mexico 
uh, these cartel members seemingly took them. We watch it on video, drag some lifeless bodies into a pickup truck and just take them away. These are Americans. What's, what are we doing to get them back? Well, obviously, this administration is not doing anything. As a matter of fact, this administration has emboldened them. And these are not thugs, Brian. This is a transnational narco-criminal terrorist organization. And so here is an American mother of six who goes across the border to get elective surgery. I've been reading since she wanted to get a tummy tuck, has three friends, and uh, their van is, is fired upon. They've got North Carolina plates on it, so it's clear that they're Americans. But think about the opposite. It, you can cross the border. Border uh, coming into the United States of America illegally, they had, you know crossed over legally. You can cross over illegally, and you get taxpayer money. You get put up in a nice fancy hotel up in New York City. If you don't like the food, you can throw the food out and demand better food. Uh, we are looking like. cowards, and we are not standing up domestically against a terrorist group, which is Antifa, and furthermore, along our border against a terrorist group, which are the cartels. And I think we have three Americans that are dead and probably one that is severely wounded. Uh, Let's see what this administration is going to do. Here's Ned Price yesterday, the man that just reeks of masculinity. Cut 27. We are closely following uh, the kidnapping of four U.S. citizens in Matamoros uh, on March 3rd. Uh, the FBI working very closely um, with other federal partners and Mexican law enforcement agencies uh, to investigate this. I'm sure you saw the FBI put out a reward uh, for uh, their uh, safe uh, return. Uh, We're standing ready to provide all appropriate uh, consular assistance. We do also remind Americans about the existing travel guidance when it comes to this uh, particular part of Mexico. So does that sound like a guy that is hello, high water, I'm going to get them back? Is that the attitude of a superpower when their neighbor can't control their own citizens? Is that going to be the is that going to scare Oberdor to take action? No, it's not. And this guy, Ned, he reminds me of Ned from The Simpsons. But this is what people see uh, in the United States. They see this weakness. They see this fecklessness. They see this, you know, Delta male that is standing up there. People in the world, some places only understand strength and might. And we've been playing around with these cartels for quite some time, Brian. And, uh, you know, here along the border in Texas, we know they've been firing across that border. We know that the drug uh, terrain wars are now creeping over onto our side of the border because it's a lucrative business. So until we get serious about this and put the hammer down, and I don't see why we have not gone across that border to retrieve the, you know, what could be the bodies of Americans, uh, but at least rescue those Americans, we're going to be seen, like you, like you just uh, articulated, as, uh, you know, kowtowing to the cartels and weak. Yeah, in fact, Bill Barr says that there was something in place, and Robert O'Brien said the same thing on Saturday. They were going to go after the cartels militarily. And now Maggie Haberman gets this story that that President Trump wanted to rocket these cartels and just attack another country, and they say how crazy that is. Not really. What he's trying to say is we know where the fentanyl is coming from. We know who's responsible for it. The Mexican government's not powerful enough or, or willing to take them down, so we'll do it. That's what he's saying. And people want to make, make it something with that crazy Trump coming up with some crazy idea. No. Bill Barr said, treat them like ISIS. Take them out, and we have the guys to do it. 
So you're absolutely right, and you know, you, you know well. I spent two and a half years in Afghanistan. This is no different from the Taliban. The Taliban was finding safe haven over in Pakistan. The government of Pakistan, especially the ISI, uh, did nothing to curtail them, and so the Taliban would launch uh, incursions across the border into Afghanistan. The cartels are no different from the Taliban. So and I'm seeing I'm seeing a report now. If I could just share this, Colonel West. Uh, the Mexican governor uh, says the missing Americans, two are dead, two are alive. Uh, they've been found. So I don't, I don't know anything else besides that, but that's just coming across now. So, so now we have a terrorist group that has killed two Americans and wounded two, and what are we going to do about it? we got to do something. I mean, for not talking about it as bringing this guy back and forth to Delaware, letting him fall upstairs on camera, having – uh, the vice president giggle about how evil conservatives are at some climate change conference in Colorado state. That's not the way you lead a country. No, it's not the way to lead a country. And again, unfortunately, uh, Americans have lost their lives and been wounded because of the weakness of this president and a vice president who supposedly is the border czar who, who does not care about it. And now we have a military that's more focused on, you know, pronoun usage and woke uh, policies than really their uh, their core competencies and capabilities. You know, let's see what Greg Abbott does here in Texas, because these people did cross uh, the border from Texas and Brownsville over to uh, Matamoros. So what could he do? You got the Texas National Guard down here, and we've got the capability to launch and go across and retrieve those bodies and, you know, exact revenge against these cartels. We need to close down their operations there in uh, Brownsville, and every single member that is tied to the cartels whatever, treat them like a terrorist. And, you know, they should be in prison. Their uh, finances should be impounded. All their property should be uh, taken. I mean, this is how we have to play hardball with these individuals, or else there's going to be more of this, Brian. There's going to be more Americans getting killed along that border zone. I agree with you 100 percent. This is going to be one of the premier issues. Uh, we can't control our own neighbors, let alone the Middle East and Far East. Uh, Colonel Allen West, thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right, we're going to follow this story because there's a lot of video of it. Now we have two dead, two alive. We'll find out if we can get them saved now. Russ Vogt will be with us. Center for Renewing America, uh, former OMB director. Makes sense of our economy. Then a simulcast with Barney and Company. Don't move. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We are $31 trillion in the hole. We've got to begin to grow the economy, build it back with lower taxes. And when we do that and grow our economy, we'll get it right back right. It's going to take a true conservative leader, Shannon. Are you saying that President Trump wasn't a true conservative leader? $6 trillion more in debt. Uh, that's, nev- that's never the right direction for the country. Uh, that was the former Secretary of State, CIA Director, and maybe presidential candidate Mike Pompeo talking over the weekend on Fox News Sunday with me right now to discuss that. And because he had the checkbook for the country for a while, for our own former OMB director, Center for Renewing American President, Russ Vogt joins us now. Russ, your reaction to the former Secretary of State's assessment of, the, of your administration? Yeah, it's unfortunate. Johnny come lately. He had an opportunity to help us cut foreign aid spending in the President Trump's administration, and he specifically worked against us when President Trump made a decision to cut foreign aid and use what's called a rescissions process. He pushed the money out the door as fast as he could at State Department so that there would be no more money left to cut. 
Uh, he knows that the, it's the Congress that refused to consider our budgets, $4 trillion, more than any president's budget in history. That's the kind of spending cuts we had in those budgets. That was Congress's fault. It's unfortunate that he's going to misconstrue the president's record. I also that. think that when you guys had control of the House and Senate, you still only – I remember Paul Ryan said I had to make compromises to get this thing passed, and one of which was no wall, $1.4 billion for the wall. In Republicans in the House, did they show fiscal restraint? No, absolutely not. They wanted to continue to fund the bureaucracy and point the, the, the message and the focus on entitlements, which they don't have a vote on every single year. It's one of my main arguments for why they need to focus on appropriations. They vote on it every year. But they did not want to take what is, on – can you, can you break that down for me? Yeah, so you've got – Woke and weaponized bureaucracy. When American people talk about the federal government, they're talking about the bureaucracy, the agencies, the EPA, the Department of Education. That's funded every year. What is not funded every year are the benefits that you get from Social Security or Medicare, Medicaid, even student loans. And so Republicans have focused for too long on that which they don't have a vote on every year because they're on autopilot. And what I'm suggesting is they got to focus with reckless abandon on the annual budget and be able to make wins there because not only can you save money, but those are the bureaucracies that are armed against the American people. You look at EPA. They put a 77-year-old Navy veteran in jail for building four ponds on his ranch to fight wildfires. That's wrong. Department of Labor shuts down a consignment uh, operator because she's trying to provide discounts to poor people who are trying to put clothes on the backs of their kids. That's wrong. That's where the American people know their bureaucracy is out of control, and I think that's where the fight needs to be on this debt limit. And when Rick Scott says we should sunset these these non-discretionary spending, do you know what he meant? I know what he meant. People have talked about sunsetting for a long time. He certainly didn't mean Medicare and Social Security, and that was kind of maligned and, and made much of by some Senate Republicans in the White House. But honestly, I think it's a reflection of the fight that the the president and Democrats want, which is Social Security and Medicare, you see that as early as today, latest today. That's not where the fight should be on the debt limit. They got we got to go after the woke uh, parts of the bureaucracy and defund that on this debt limit. What do you mean by today? It, what, what, what happened? They, he came out today with, uh, with uh, a review plan. of his budget for his Medicare uh, taxes, and he wants to make it solvent to 2050. Correct. From what you saw, is it by his by his plan? He's he's going to do what every liberal does and just. Tax the American people more. And if we want to have a conversation at some level about billionaires and being taxed, maybe we can have that conversation. But what he's going to do is not going to change the the solvency of the, the program because he's not adjusting the benefits. And that's what's politically challenging to do. And I think that if you care about those programs and they are going broke, but Washington's done nothing except talk about it and study it with commissions. If you care about those programs, the best thing we can do is to actually make progress somewhere to cut spending somewhere and begin to balance the budgets. And then we can have a conversation about the hardest stuff to tackle. Is it accurate to say that Medicare and Social Security make up 40 percent of the budget? Uh, it, it, no, it, it, it makes up a very sizable percentage of the budget. Two-thirds of the, of the mandatory spending – is 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 autopilot of that most of it is social security and medicare so when for you to do any serious cutting you need to you need to look at those you have to look politically at, it's a third rail i get it no so this is where I, my main paradigm shift is this you can balance the budget in 10 years and still provide for national security and defense by going after the 3 trillion in discretionary spending the woke and weaponized bureaucracy 
$6 trillion in the easier mandatory reforms like the welfare reform, getting rid of the, the benefit hammock that's been created, and tackling Medicaid and slowing its growth. You can get to balance by doing that, and that is a much better way to actually begin to have spending cuts. Russ Votis here used to be director of the OMB, Center for Renewing America, now where he's president. So where do you think we're at when it comes to energy? And it's just so ironic you're here now. This is, would have been the week or the month that the XL pipeline would have been flowing. It would have been, in theory, it was, on, it was projected to be ready to go by now, but the president got rid of that. Energy-wise, this must be frustrating. It, it is incredibly frustrating. You know, you can't deal with the fiscal situation that we have without economic growth. And one of the main <clears throat> critical components of that is obviously cheap energy and making sure it's American energy and not relying on other countries. It's actually good foreign policy for us not to be relying on other countries. And what they've and done. Would you is, also say by upping the price of oil, it makes those our enemies richer? Absolutely, absolutely. And so they, at every turn. Uh, most immediately when they took office was the pipeline, and we're now just seeing the results of that this week. But at every turn, they have taken an approach which is less energy and starving the American people of what they need to grow and invest in their in their companies. So this Willow Oil project out in Alaska is supposed to go online, and the president's getting pressure from his left to destroy it uh, and make sure Alaska is not able to flow this oil through a pipeline. Among the people against that is the president of the Alaska AFL-CIO, Cut32. Well, I'm sure the president is weighing this decision very carefully, but I hope he ha- we have the confidence that we have already passed this NEPA process, and this is a reaffirmation of a decision that's already been made. We hope that he will find it in our favor and we'll be able to develop this oil field. America simply must do two things at once. We have to be able to continue to develop natural, our oil and gas reserves here in Alaska, and we have to be able to build towards a climate future that's free of these types of carbons. But we have to do two things at once. It's pretty simple. And it seems simple, but you wonder what the president's going to do. He always goes with the political left um, with very, very rare occasion. And so it's unfortunate, but I think what you see in that clip is you see an example of of in Alaska where even on a bipartisan basis they want more energy. And that should tell the rest of the country something. This doesn't have to be about politics. You can protect the environment and you can be able to have energy exploration that is American in a way that makes sense and doesn't lead to economic devastation. That the administration is quite frankly furthered in Ohio by not addressing the situation there. So President Trump came out over the weekend. One of the things he said is I would have kept the price of oil down in order to make sure that Russia and our Iran and uh, China, everybody was, uh, you know, that we keep the oil for the oil producers. They would not be able to use that money to muscle up and build up their economy. Now it's at what, 80? Mm-hmm. Eighty dollars. How does Russia? How does Russia's economy benefit from eighty dollar uh, a gal, a barrel oil? I mean, we we are in, we're furthering these you know these individuals and, and nations that don't have our interests at our at our uh, at our disposal, and we're furthering them with the the price of high energy. We're giving them uh, operating room to make their own decisions as opposed to making us in position to have our own. Uh, unilateral positions. And and that's, you know, that's what you get across the board with this president on his foreign policy. He never even thinks about it. He just tries to go with the left. I just thought uh, it was too interesting. I want to play two cuts for you. One is just about our country. You can vote with your feet. Where, what state is more fiscally responsible? Where is a better place to live? Obviously, Florida, if you talk to people. But what about Jamie Dimon, uh, one of our most respected CEOs? 
Uh, this is what he said about why Florida works. Cut 35. If you were running the state, you know, you should be thinking, how can I make this state off good, well off my people? So Florida likes business. They want you to come. You know, you come to Florida, you see the opt-in. Texas is the same way. You know, if, if I was some other states, I'd be thinking about why do people like going to these states? It's their taxes. It's their pro-business. They want better life for the people. It's not necessary some of the policy we talked about. So, um, you know, we now have more employees in Texas than in New York State. You know, it should have been that way, but Texas loves to be there. And when you go there, they're optimistic. They're optimistic here. Pro-American, optimistic, pro-business. No, unfortunately, no. So he's he, he's just talking about J.P. Morgan. Is he right? Absolutely. You're, and you're seeing some of the Shark Tank guys say the same thing. The, the, some states are putting themselves in a position like where— Like the one we're in. Like we're, the one we're in, New Jersey, others, Illinois. They're putting themselves in a position where— Hard-edge, calculating businessmen have to make decisions that say we're going elsewhere. And I think we're going to see more of that. Uh, Resfolk, always great to see you. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again. And maybe if Trump wins, you're going back? Uh, I wouldn't want to miss any out on any of that kind of opportunity, but who knows what's going on then. All right. Uh, he had the checkbook for the country, and he wants it back. Let's see what happens. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do a simulcast with Stuart Varney and FPN in just a moment. Don't move. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. So we'll follow the story of the horrible situation where these drug cartels seemingly uh, just assaulted and kidnapped four Americans when they crossed into Mexico. Two are dead, two are alive. I have no word if they're in our custody yet. This woman was just going across with a few of her friends because she was doing an elective surgery. For some reason, they targeted a white minivan with North Carolina plates, took him, killed him, shot at it first, crashed into it first, slowed him down, and then they just took everybody, including the dead bodies. I have no idea how this comes out, but this is an international incident. Meanwhile, let's talk with Ready to Go on Stuart Varney. About the Americans in Mexico, the governor of the state of Tamaulipas, that's a Mexican state, he says that two of the four missing Americans have been found dead. Brian Kilmeade joins us. Brian, this is serious stuff. If that report is accurate, what are we going to do with the cartels? I mean, we don't know who's alive, who's dead. I'm not even clear that they're in our custody in in particular. But, you know, Robert O'Brien, who was on with me on over the weekend, said that they had a plan in place. They knew exactly where the cartels were, where they were located, going to coordinate with the government. And they're going to take some action there. And you just you also have people saying like Bill Barr, who said you have to treat them exactly like you did ISIS. We know to take these groups down. They have actually more money. And we might have some cooperation with the federal government who really are outgunned by their cartels. It really would help if we didn't have a failed socialist state at our uh, at our border. But we let the border be controlled by the cartels within that failed socialist state. So we are really to blame for it. The previous administration said they wish they had more time to take more action. But by any means, fentanyl getting into our country is up 22 percent. You see the flow of illegals coming here. It's not even close between the two administrations. They are blowing the doors off all records for the wrong reasons. I've got to get a more I've got to get an accurate report on what happened to those Americans. And if the if the cartels have killed Americans, 
That is a major escalation, and we have to respond to that. Excuse me, where's the president? Where's the president on this? We heard Ned Price, the spokesperson, make a statement yesterday. We have no muscle. We have no, we have no bluster. We have zero. Not good enough. I'm going to move on, change the subject. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, taking a swipe at California's migrant policies. Watch this. When I became governor, we were able to ban sanctuary cities. We're not going to recognize uh, lawless uh, identifications that are done uh, by California. And California, they've abandoned the rule of law. They are a sanctuary state. They don't follow federal immigration laws. And, of course, these Soros prosecutors, uh, they pick and choose which laws to enforce. There'll be people in Los Angeles who will get mugged, Sean, on the street And the prosecutor won't bring charges against these guys, and they end up going out and they victimize other people. Obviously, Brian, this is becoming a major political confrontation. Newsom versus uh, DeSantis, California versus Florida. This is how it could shape up for the 2024 election. And Governor DeSantis, no doubt about it, is punching down with Newsom, who's a failed governor, who's not even (laughs) there during another catastrophe. And by the way, too, when it comes to sanctuary state, you're inviting these people. You're taking taxpayer dollars to support these people. I looked at these numbers, Stuart. I know you're into numbers. New York City spends $370 a day per illegal immigrant, $1.4 billion a year, $2.8 billion next year, and then 30,000 staying in hotels. Don't say woe is me because you're a sanctuary city. They know if they come here, we're not kicking them out. We're feeding them. We're clothing them, giving them free package, uh, free uh, bags. Uh, They get to stay in beautiful hotels until we get them a job. So this is too attractive not to do. They are to blame for this. And now they're looking for the federal government to bail them out. Really? With our money? So the money we send to the federal government, we're looking to bail out the states when the city's already taking our money. The state's taking our money. They're using our money to pay for illegals, not for us, not for cops, not for raises for teachers. None of this. It is nuts what's going on right now. Well, did you see the front page of the New York Times this morning? A big new thing. Uh, The Times says that the Biden administration is considering allowing migrant families across the border to stay together to, you know, put them in tents and tent cities and give them playgrounds and schools and heaven knows what. I think the president is trying to reverse his border policy because he knows his border policy is in deep trouble. Oh, you know that, you know that policy that Trump had? You, yes. If you want to apply, you That's apply to the country you're in. He's doing yep. it. Do you know what yep. you're just saying, that policy? That's a Trump policy. He's doing it. The remain yep. in Mexico was a gift for him. He blew it. And now he's sitting there saying, wow. Uh, this is going to be terrible for me if I actually want to run for re-election. So i got to figure out something. Let me see. Somebody's playbook is sitting there in the Oval Office. Let me open it up and find out what was working. Not perfectly, but what I can appreciate, and I think you can too, is nobody thought that Trump was weak on the border. The methods were debatable, but the objective was not. The objective for President Biden is debatable, and the methods are questionable <laughs> where they're good. coming from. So <laughs> that's my right. problem. Are you trying to help our country? Are, You're dead right. Look at foreign policy. If we even have, We'll talk about that on the radio tomorrow. But even foreign policy, this is where his experience is. Tell me China's better. Tell me our relationship with Russia's better. Tell me our relationship with Iran's better. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You know about hard breaks, and I've got one facing me right there. Kill me? You're all right. See you again soon. Go get him, Just Stuart. ahead, Dr. Mark Siegel. All right. Um, I have a lot to say. One eight six. I should get a talk show. one 408 You can also write me at briankillmead.com. So look at this. You heard what I was just saying. So right now, every person that crosses into our country gets off that bus at, at Port Authority. 
$370 a day. I used to survive on $3 a day. Uh, I could not afford the Denny's Grand Slam when I was out in California. And there was a homeless problem then. I remember, I mean, literally paycheck to paycheck, waiting, getting paid every two weeks. Now, you come here illegally, you're getting 370 a day, 30000 in hotel rooms in our country. There were about 60 hotels that have been converted to illegal immigrant places. And why do beautiful hotels convert? Because every room gets sold. The city government pays top dollar for it. You don't have to worry about it. You have your staff. You do half your staff. And you pay, they charge the city for the cleanup when they're finally done and they're out. That is why the, these hotels, I won't even name them, because if some decided not to participate in I appreciate it, and I don't want to uh, loop them in for no reason. But the ones that take the money and say, I don't have to worry about vacancies, I don't have to worry about tourists, I get it paid for. Uh, but that just makes everybody more dangerous uh, and makes the city worse and becomes more of an attra- a magnet for illegal immigrants. But until you get rid of the sanctuary city status, I have no sympathy for you. Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. All right, welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Bottom of the hour, one of the deepest thinkers, nicest guys, uh, most interesting you'll ever meet, Dr. Drew Pinsky, board-certified internist. You know him all on the radio, YouTube, television, everything else. He was kind enough to be on with us on One Nation last two Saturday nights ago. And with me in studio, uh, Dan Bilak, one of our favorite all-time guests, member of the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine. He has finally left that country to come to be with you as former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine and now in studio. Dan, welcome. A pleasure to be here, Brian. All right. So, Dan, before we get inside Ukraine, the latest on the war, the holdup with Bakhmut and how you guys are still fighting hard there, and how the latest report was the Russians actually surging with shovels. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is alarming, though, because just yet another example of how Joe Biden and so many Democrats will rally the banners and man the ramparts to defend Chinese communists. That's exactly what happened on the coronavirus in early 2020. That's what happened last month. Uh, Absolutely. Relations with China reach a new low. Tensions between nations never been so high. It's an evil regime. They cheat, they steal, they torture. But President Biden told us he could handle it. What happened? Number two. And I go, I would vote for Trump before I'd vote for Biden. Just because I think with Biden, like, he's no, he's, he's gone. Like, you know he's gone. It's You're going to be relying on his cabinet. And I knew his cabinet would be this sideshow of diversity. Uh, Joe Rogan nails it again. I'll play the extended clip a little bit later. Uh, real, realize, uh, can anyone on the on the right step up? Uh, it looks like President Trump at 78 years old. Like him or not, you can't say he lost his fastball after watching him over the weekend. Can he be stopped on the right? And will there be a rematch in 2024? Number one. I have made clear how I felt about um, the update to the criminal code. One of them was to allow dangerous murderers and rapists Get out of jail early. That was opposed by many people, including me. That was Mayor Bowser of D.C., but the D.C. Council wanted to lessen the penalties on every crime, raise the age to prosecute every crime. It was going to be blocked, and President Biden was going to sign on it. They just pulled it back. You add that to the lack of 
to the to the lack of the indifference after the attack on Copland in Atlanta. You got to wonder what's happening to law and order in this country. But first things first, when it comes to foreign policy, there's nothing more important than supporting Ukraine uh, to the best we can in the West to let them beat once and for all the Russians. And I would argue the one or two biggest rivals we have on this planet with me right now is a man who's actually doing the work. He has left the battlefield to be with you in studio and to be with me in studio. Dan, welcome. Great to see you. Great to meet you in person for the first time. Yeah, likewise, Brian. So tell me how different your life has been since this war started. Well, I obviously reevaluate, reevaluate a lot of things in your life, uh, your values, what's important. Um, obviously, uh, family, friends, country uh, come first. Uh, material things uh, are, are a, a deep, 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 deep uh, second. Um, you know, everybody in the, in the nation is doubling down to, to support the armed forces. You know, our people don't have two kopecks to, uh, to rub together, and we've raised $500 million dollars uh, from Ukrainians alone to to fund the armed forces and and you know this it, is total resistance. Everybody is is involved. You're either on the front or you're working for the front. And um, you know it's you know there's no way we're going to lose. Were you convinced that the invasion was going to happen? Personally, I was. I think I was one of the few people in the country that actually believed it was going to happen. Uh, I still felt it back in uh, in the spring of 2021 when he started uh, circling our uh, our borders with his tanks and, uh, and and weaponry as part of their military exercises. And then by October, when he did it again and he left all the stuff there, it was pretty clear where this was going. Do you know the interesting the soldiers and you could know better than me, the Russian soldiers would say we didn't know we were going in. So they were kind of surprised. Others, were, they had cop uniforms. They thought they were just going to take the capital and take over the country and try to put law and order in. Do you find that a lot of the Russian soldiers didn't know what the mission was? Yeah, I wouldn't overstate that. I think there was probably, I think a lot of people, I think Putin's cabinet didn't know what the mission was. I think uh, there was a very small group of people that really? took the decisions. But a lot of these uh, these soldiers that said, uh, we didn't know, we were thought coming in on training exercises. When you check their packs and stuff, you found uh, maps and, in, and instructions and orders and things like that. So, you know, they, they, they knew by the time they entered Ukraine, they knew what, what they were doing. But they weren't trained to do it. Well, the, the first group that came in was the highly trained ones. This is, this is one of the things that, that is really the story of this, uh, uh, this, this war is that they put in their most highly specialized, highly trained troops right at the beginning. And we took them out. And we've we've degraded the entire Russian army by about 40 to 50 percent over the course of the last year. Would you think 200,000 casualties, uh, dead or wounded, is accurate? Yeah, I think that's right. I, and that's that's just not that's not my stats. Those are stats of uh, the Americans and uh, and the Brits. And why do you think you're fighting so much better than them? Why do you seem feel, feel as though you're more organized with more of a sense of mission? Why? How did that happen? Well, first, first of all, as I said, this is total resistance. We're fighting for our country, and not only that, we're fighting against extermination. I mean, this is a genocidal war, Brian. I mean, they've come in to wipe out Ukraine and wipe out Ukrainians. So we have no choice but to fight, and we have no choice but to win. But you are organized with a sense of mission and, and hierarchy and... What, well, actually, it's it, that's that's actually the, the 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 key is that this Ukrainian propensity to self-organization has really helped that we fight tactically. We fight smart. Uh, we shoot better. We've we've been and I'm really grateful to the people of the United States for the weapons we've got because it gives us a huge advantage. The Russians are are very heavy. They have they're fighting the same war they fought 300 years ago. It's just all about bodies on the battlefield and overwhelm the enemy. And, um, you know, we've we've been much more strategic and tactical and uh, and and effective. 
So I want to bring in when Sergey Larvov was dressed in the G20 over in India. Listen to his statement and listen to the audience when he made it. Cut 38. You know, uh, the war uh, which uh, we are trying to stop and which was launched against us using the Ukraine, <laughs> U- Ukrainian people, uh, of course, it influenced, influenced, influenced uh, the uh, policy of Russia. Does he expect people to believe that the war in which was inflicted on us, that you, basically they, you started the war? Yeah. I, frankly, I don't think they care what we think. Uh, all of this, all of What the about thing- the rest of the world? Why would he say that? Because it's for domestic consumption. Uh, the laughter? It, it, exactly. It means that they're laughing at us. They're against us. Our people are, uh, are, are, are – we need your support. The, the people of Russia, we need your support to double down. And we're under attack even in, uh, even in India. Um, you know, I don't think La- Lavrov's not a stupid guy. I mean, uh, he's told to say what he has to say. Um, and uh, this is they're just trying to be consistent with their messaging as as uh, as ridiculous as it is. Bring us to battle right now. Everyone's talking about Bakhmud. But the longer they stay there, is that to your strategic advantage to wear them out there and fight? Because evidently you guys don't want to give up the city, but it's almost entirely encircled. And one of the exit bridges was destroyed. Yeah, Brian. Um it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a gamble, uh, but we have been very successful over the course of the last few months in degrading the Russian army, which we have to continue doing in order to be able to successfully launch our counteroffensive, especially in the south, uh, to cut off their supply lines, cut them off from Kherson and Crimea, uh, and then take back the Donbas. Uh, you know, we've as as we've said, we've taken a terrible, terrible price. We've paid a terrible, terrible price for this, uh, but uh, you know we're killing five of theirs to one of ours, and uh, and that's that's a strategic move. I don't know how long it's going to last, though, because you don't want a situ- situation like Mariupol where everyone takes prisoner, correct? Yeah, no, and and we can't afford to. These are these are our best fighters. You know, these are the dregs of their society that are coming at us: prisoners, rapists, murderers. They literally pedophiles. run some unarmed at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they fought the Second World War that way. Stalin gave them pitchforks to attack uh, German position. They just kept mowing them down until they ran out of bullets. Right. This is why we need the equipment. This is why we need what we're asking for from our allies faster and in greater quantities so that we can have the, the advantage on the battlefield using weapons. I don't know what it was called Stalingrad or Leningrad, but I guess they, they consider that a great victory. They lost 1.4 million people. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and Stalin lost a million people just taking Berlin, which had, at that point had no real strategic value, but it had political value. Bakhmut for the Russians is huge because they have nothing. They've really they've they, they've they've not achieved any of their aims. Putin has not achieved. So any he of his wants aims. this as a PR win, a hundred percent, to tell his people that we took a major city. It, it's now no longer a major city because it's flattened. And uh, out of seventy thousand people that were there pre-war, there's only about four thousand left. Here's a little uh, from the front lines. Uh, a report from the front lines uh, on the from Western News, uh, CBS, cut thirty-seven. As the battlefield turns from ice into mud. There's still a chill in the air as we're taken to one of the Ukrainian military's most vital lookout points, close to Bakhmut. It's where we meet Izhak, who keeps a close eye on Russian positions below. What's the biggest threat facing you right now? Our biggest fear is artillery, he says, because it can hit us at any time. You don't know when, where, or how. Kremlin-backed forces say they're close to encircling this charred and ruined city, as they stand accused of committing horrific atrocities here. International outrage is growing following the apparent Russian execution of this Ukrainian soldier. Glory to Ukraine. 
were his final words before being shot. It's a defiance Masik, who's just returned from Bakhmut, understands. Lots of us have been killed, he says, but this is our land, and we must keep fighting. At a nearby location, deep in the woods, we meet up with members of a tank unit who have also experienced the horrors of Bakhmut firsthand. This video shows them taking a direct hit from Russian fire. Vladislav was driving the tank at the time. Are you worried that Bakhmut will fall to the Russians? Yes. Yes, yes. Look, he says, if the Russians take Bakhmut, then Ukraine will be at a serious breaking point. That's not true. That's uh, that. Obviously, if you're down in, in Bakhmut, it looks that way. Um, but from all the indications, both here and in, in Ukraine, it's not a strategic uh, defeat. Uh, it, it's a setback. But we have already prepared the fallback positions so that we, if we're going to leave Bakhmut, we have a line of defense that will prevent them from going to Kramatorsk and Slavyansk. We'll still have high ground. So uh, the one thing, as I mentioned to you, the NBC has a report that the Russians are forced to fight with shovels because they have an ammo shortage. So this Wagner group, uh, how much better, how much different are they as fighters? Because we also hear they're recruiting from prisons, and they were told you can't recruit from prisons anymore. Who are they? Yeah, this is a private military uh, company uh, run by a guy named Yevgeny Prigozhin. But they are Russians, right? They are Russians, and they're basically used by the Russian military and by Putin especially as sort of plausible deniability. Uh, They're their wet ops guys. Um, But, you know, we we destroyed a huge part of Wagner Group early in the war, and that's why they've had to recruit from prisoners, uh, from prisons. There are 50,000 prisoners in Bakhmut. And of of those 50,000, there's probably 10,000 left. Everybody else is dead. So when they talk about this elite group as if they're their version of the Navy SEALs, it's just not correct. Oh, no, no. I mean, nothing close to that. Is there but, a rivalry between the Russian regulars and the Wagner group? Yeah, 100%. And as bad as the Wagner group is, they're better than the Russian army. And uh, and that's the problem that the Russians have. Is they, they don't even pick up the bodies on the on the. Brian, it's horrible. My friends who, who've just come from Bakhmut said that, you know, they, they, even in winter, the stench on the battlefield is so bad, you can hardly breathe because the bodies, not only are they just lying on the field rotting, but the next wave of people are climbing over the bodies of their, of their comrades and they're just piling up. What I kept hearing was in Afghanistan, one of the reasons they pulled out is the Russian mom said, I'm tired of sending my sons into that terrible war. Why aren't they saying it now? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, the you know, there's a mentality that you know uh, we are under threat, and so we have to uh, defend the nation, and that's that's the that's the story that that Putin has sold them on. Um, you know, your average Russian gets gets all of their information from television, which is completely controlled by the Kremlin. But this is also deeply, deeply ingrained in the Russian psyche. This notion that you know somehow this is all going to fall apart because Russia is not really a nation state; it's an artificial construct. It's a colonizer. And it's it's an empire. And uh, and so it, it's really held together by one thing only, and that's repression. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, I'd look for something else. Uh, Dan Bilek, a couple more minutes when we get back, including are they getting the weapons they need at the at the pace in which they need them? We'll find out uh, as as Dan left Ukraine to talk to you. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
a talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a few more minutes with uh, Dan Bilak. He's uh, back from Ukraine to help us out and give us an up-close personal view of what it's like in that war-torn country. Remember the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine, former chief investment officer, advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine. You were advisor with a few prime ministers, right? Uh, two, yeah. Two. So right now, are you getting the weapons you need at the pace in which you need them? Uh, unfortunately, from from the perspective of uh, both our, our political leaders and our, and our military, probably not. Uh, we, you know, we, we still haven't got a lot of the stuff that was promised to us back in the in the summer and the fall. Um, we're really running short on on munitions, uh, uh, shells, ammunition, and things like that. The last the last two packages from the administration from the American people have started to address that shortage. Uh, but you know, you would have had a surge in the winter if you were armed. Uh, I, I suspect that that's what would have happened. The plan, the original plan, was to do something this winter to 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 take advantage of of the situation. But you know, they lob for sixty thousand shells at us uh, a week, and we can respond with twenty, and that's still a lot. That's twenty thousand shells a week. That's are the that's Patriots a lot more. in place? Not yet. They're, they're apparently they're coming this month. Um, our guys are training up really really fast and. Uh, we're also training on the leopard tanks and the and the challengers in the UK. Uh, the the uh, uh, sorry the uh, the Bradleys are coming apparently, um, and uh, uh, the Abrams tanks are going to take a little longer because they're much which more makes no sense to me. We have all these tanks. Uh, what, what, do we, what do you mean the, the Marines gave up all their tanks? They didn't want them anymore. Where are yeah. they? Well, you need apparently you need a huge logistics and maintenance uh, battalions okay. behind them, and and that takes a while to put together. But you know we can't we can't get we can't live with the delivery time of the end of the year. I mean, we have to start a to to take this window of opportunity where the Russians are hurting, and they're on the back foot, and they're running out of ammo. They're using these uh, tanks from World War II uh, now coming to the front lines. We need to take advantage of that with modern equipment, and that means we got to move by April, May. Do you believe the Chinese are, are prepared to give them lethal, lethal weapons? Brian, this is, a, this is a real big game changer if it happens because it means that this is no longer a regional or European conflict. It becomes a global conflict. This will be a direct challenge to the United States. Um, and, and that's sort of the Chinese are sort of the, the, the elephant in the room in all of this. Um, I think it's, you know, dictators like to work with other dictators. They feel comfortable. And, uh, and, and I think that the, the whole world, including Americans and, and Europeans, are finding that there's a cost to doing business with dictators. You know? oh, already and, making moves to overthrow the Moldovan government, I heard? Uh, they would certainly like to do that. Just, you know, the, the idea of the, the whole Russian way of waging warfare is, is hybrid. Infl- infiltrate. I- infiltrate and mix it up, psychological warfare. You know, take advantage, create situations you can take advantage of. Well, one thing you show in the whole world, how tough you are as a country, how determined you are, how you're willing to fight. And I think Ukraine is synonymous with toughness uh, and, and savvy and grit from here on in. And hopefully this is the year you, you, t- you go for the complete win. Dan, stay safe. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. And, you know, God bless the people of the United States of America. Without you, we, we never could have gotten this far. And hopefully we can get this done this year together. A- absolutely. Great to see you, uh, Dan Bilak. Uh, Dr. Drew Pinsky's next. Brian Kilmichel. So glad you're here.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There was a study uh, recently that we can make available to you where a, a group of highly qualified evolutionary virologists looked at the sequences and the mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of a species from an animal to a human. Really? Did he mention the fact that he commissioned that study, even picking the doctors and told them what to do? And then he pretends as if this independent study popped up and he's just quoting it. Well, you just picture that Fauci sitting there with a microphone uh, just over his head. And then President Trump and Vice President Pence standing behind him all years. This was early on, April of 2020. Remember that. Dr. Drew Pinsky does, board-certified internist, addiction medicine specialist, host of Ask Dr. Drew, The Adam and Drew Show, and Dr. Drew After Dark. Uh, Dr. Drew, welcome back. Great job on Gutfeld last night. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Why are you up so late? Are you on the West Coast? Yeah, well, they they have it at eight o'clock here. They they don't have it up late. It's it's much easier to watch it. And uh, really, it was a great group. It was really a lot of fun watching you guys. And um, Vivek is an interesting dude, isn't he? Yeah, uh, he is running for president. Vivek uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, and he, along with uh, Nikki Haley, two American Indian, hmm. uh, running for president. That's underappreciated. But Doctor uh, uh, Doctor Drew, first off. You went through this every step of the way. We kind of talked throughout the whole pandemic. Yeah. Oh, how, does, how does it make you feel that he commissioned the study that he quoted? It, it, it is so confusing, and I understand why people are up in arms. Uh, when I saw the headline, I thought, well, there it is. There it is. He is actively hiding something. I was very concerned. In the Twitter files, you see this email chain where evolutionary biologists, virologists are talking with Dr. Fauci saying that they believe there's an up to an 80-20 probability that this is lab leak. The email chain goes silent, then a week later the Nature article comes out. So I I thought, wow, I I was sort of exercised about this. And I think the basis for that feeling is the fatigue and the outrage we all feel, feel about the government overreach throughout the entirety of this pandemic mess. It's just enough already, and people want to feel vindicated for having been pushed down so profoundly, been squashed by, you know, their every freedoms removed from them. But I would caution people, this is a moving target. It is terribly complicated. I thank God I did my due diligence, and I went and I pulled the article that uh, Dr. Fauci is referring to in that particular uh, moment at the podium. And the fact is, the argument is written by people who are quite substantial. You can go listen to their interviews. You will be persuaded that these are virologists of highest standing just trying to do their work. They also talk about the time in the interviews I've heard with them that the fact was they presented this evolutionary biology that appeared in that paper before Dr. Fauci asked them to, hey, put that out in a paper. People are going to want to hear this. He didn't, you know, he may have been motivated by other, you know, we don't know what his motivations were for saying that, but but to share science with the world was nothing unusual. It was not a paper, it was a correspondence. So the thing that got me was, like, how do they publish a paper in seven days? Well, it was a correspondence, and it was like six weeks between the conferences and when the correspondence came out. And, of course, Nature was very excited to push this out. The problem is that there's political energy around every side. So the reality is, so I went and looked at the paper. It's very compelling. And yet, there are three K 
cases of acute viral pneumonia from the lab in November, December that have yet to be identified. And right now, as of this minute, there's a House bill that was just put out. Let me read you the title. To require the Director of National Intelligence to declassify information regarding the origin of COVID-19. And my belief is, even though the evidence is compelling, the evolutionary biology is rather astonishing, frankly. I still, and by the way, the good evolutionary biologists take the position, yes, it's compelling, but we're open to any new science, new information. And my belief is, my suspicion is, you're going to get from the uh, intelligence people evidence of the fact that those three illnesses at the lab were, in fact, COVID-19. I'm just going to just get, you're just you're jogging settle. my memory, Dr. Drew. So yeah. I remember that. People came up. So tell us about that again, these illnesses that came up along the, along the there, way. There, the, there's lots of evidence in the evolutionary biology and in the genetic material that suggests evolution through bat. There's actually epidemiology data that sort of locates the initial infections around the, uh, the Wuhan market. But there still remains this fact that there were three cases of pneumonia. And by the way, China clamped down on everything immediately, so they actually couldn't do the, the very sort of smoking gun style uh, uh, science they needed to do to actually locate it at the market. Yeah. These are all referential sort of evidentiary kind of stuff. But the fact that there was three cases at the lab will be sufficient to locate the outbreak at the lab. Right. But the problem is those people were marginalized. No one could get at the information. I'm assuming the intelligence officials have some compelling data. Right. And a couple of things. We know the WHO director was put there by China. George Bush didn't think it was that big of a deal. Turns out uh, they, he was actually totally useless at a time when you needed him most. Well, Brian, the, the thing the thing I'm learning, I, you know, I do these streaming shows on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at three o'clock, and particularly on Wednesday, we we speak to very controversial figures. We platform at people. It's like, how dare I talk to people that are controversial? It's really the craziest thing in the world to me that uh, people, are, my peers even, are trying to compel my speech and compel other people's speech. And my natural reaction is, no, sunlight, Let it bring it all into the open. So I interview people that I don't necessarily agree with, but there's always interesting information to be gleaned from these people. And the one thing that is sort of accumulating in my mind, and has made my wife actually <clears throat> apoplectic, is we have really sorely misjudged who China is. And if you take, if you get, if you get used to thinking what actually their set of priorities are and how they operate, things start to make more sense. Now, I don't want to be in any way conspiratorial. I'm trying but, to be actually culturally sensitive and politically accurate to what their system is and how they operate. But if you if you come at it from that perspective you really start to see a story evolving here uh, that we, from a business and scientific standpoint, have been sort of drawn into a relationship that is full of treachery, and we've been hoodwinked many times. And right now, I think the line in the sand could actually unite the country. we got to stop with our schools. We've got to stop with our investment. You. Your mouth to God's ears. If we, you know, we need a common enemy. Sorry to say it like this, but we, need to, we have a common enemy. Let's rally together to try to... Uh, to try to, you know, to we're not, close. I, I don't say defeat, but manage this situation that we've gotten ourselves in. Exactly, because uh, President Xi yesterday in his comments, uh, he's never been more belligerent, direct, and blaming of, of the U.S. A couple of things happened. 
If you if you want to say lab leak and a smart person like Dr. Drew sits across and says, no, it came from a natural environment, I'd like to see the debate. But the last thing I want to do is try to destroy Dr. Drew for not having the opinion that I want him to have or shadow Ben and which that creates anger. And then we find out that you were right. Yeah. And then people go, are you kidding me? I'll never trust you again. Hence what right. happened in Ohio. The yep. EPA comes down and says the, the air is finally going, yeah, like hell it is. Uh, why would I ever drink the water and listen to you? So I want to bring you to uh, what Jim Jordan brilliantly outlines, what's going to be gone, how they're going to go over it this week. Listen. First on the, on the COVID issue, understand that on January 31st, 10.32 p.m., 2020. So right at the get-go, Dr. Fauci gets an email from Dr. Christian Anderson, which says virus looks engineered, virus not consistent with evolutionary theory. The next day, he gets another email from Dr. Gary. Now, these are doctors he's handed out our tax dollars to over the years. Dr. Gary's email says, I don't know how this happens in nature. It would be easy to do in a lab. That same day, February 1st, 2020. So again, right at the start, that same day, Dr. Fauci organizes a conference call. Him and Dr. Collins get on there with Dr. Gary, Dr. Anderson, all these other virologists. They get on there, and three days later, everybody changes their story. That, that was. Go ahead, Brian. Brian, that was the thing that 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 right there is the the focal point of my concern. That that was where I was concerned. I'm I'm reaching out to uh, Dr. Christian Anderson and Dr. Eddie Holmes. I want to speak to them. I want to. I, I'm wide open to their point of view. I want to hear what these are. Legit, really substantial scientists and good men, good people. And what happened? Were they hoodwinked? Were they manipulated? Uh, did they, was it, were they you know un, uh, convenient uh, dupes, or or were they right? We have to stay open to all possibilities. So there's a study. Major reasons why Americans say they lack trust in the CDC for accurate COVID-19 information. Seventy-four percent said political influence on recommendations. Seventy-three percent have given too many conflicting recommendations. And the third biggest reason is the private sector influence on recommendations and policies. If I have to think of what's my objective, if I walk into my doctor and he says, you have allergies, you're going to need this medication, and I have to think, okay, who's he in, who's he in bed with, Pfizer or Moderna? You know, know. Who, well, what does he Terrible. really add? What if he said to me, how much money would he make if, I, if he said I wasn't sick? I don't have to think like that, but now America has to think like that. Brian, I, I love my profession and my peers. I thought it was the most important job in the world. I've never been more demoralized and sort of disgusted, uh, both by us and our the world's sort of perception of us. Um, and and we all, everyone agrees in science and medicine that the that the pandemic was bungled. The insane thing is, no one can even agree what they mean by that. And that's, and you know, to me, it's like, yeah, the overreach, the lockdowns that don't work. Maybe you know, again, short-term lockdowns. Yes, try to get to a vaccine, but then get over your skis and now lockdowns for two years, schools closed for two years, pediatric uh, vaccines mandated. Well, that what that wasn't where we started. Exactly. We started with let's get some time. Fifteen days to slow the spread. Uh, and let's let's get this thing under control, and then then, then localize, focus our, our our efforts. None of that. It became this weird, so weird. I, why people wanted to comply with that, and why people felt it was their job to to force people into these situations. It's all very confusing to me. But I'm trying my best to keep an open mind and try to come to some understanding of this. But I will tell you that the the overreach and the, the sense of well, this one glitch we have in our constitution where we give absolute fiat authority to public health officials during an emergency. People felt that, and they do not feel good about it, and they've right. got to solve that problem. So you're in the real world, and you're in the entertainment world, you're in the news world, 
So you got this, this degree, you go to all these years of colleges, and you try to persuade people to your point of view and you want to debate people. But the person that made the biggest impact that I was happiest to hear was when Jon Stewart hopped on Stephen Colbert's show and said this. There was a chance that this was created in a lab. There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh I, my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. So he went on and he said he was called alt-right. He was ripped oh, yeah. for that. Not that I have uh, sympathy for him or, or, or I feel bad for him at all, but he just said what everybody was thinking. But he was John Stewart, the liberal oh, who's, who, who focuses on conservatives, saying yeah. that to a, the guy he mentored and put in that position. So what yeah. was significant about that? Well, we need our comedians. That's what's significant about that. But he was speaking the truth. <laughs> that's the comedian's job is to expose the truth, to talk truth to power where did that where what happened to that yeah we're 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 the journalists in all this but but in that in in him being characterized as all right is the craziest thing to me and same with um who was it uh woody harrelson the other day who gave out that subliminal message about vaccines good for him fine stir it up <laughs> I, bring it let's get this conversation going but we have got here's what i caution against i was thinking about this this, this morning which is that on the right, there's a tendency to shrink into sort of siloed thinking. You know, you sort of get in your own little, um, you know, siloed where you, you don't trust anything on the outside. And the left gets into this projection and acting out in anger. Both are impossible to deal with. We've got to get in the middle somewhere and start sharing ideas and come to the truth. True. Dr. Drew, when do we see you? When do we hear you? I think your audience would like these streaming shows we do. I'm going to be actually answering questions today at 3 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, DrDrew.tv is where you can find it. And then tomorrow, I think we have a famous physician in who has been silenced, of course. That's whom we talk to. And I I team up on Wednesdays with this woman named um, Kelly Victory, who's an ER doctor, who has a lot of different opinions than me, which is good. This is good. Uh, I, I just think we have to it, it, get everybody onto the ship and let's just start finding the truth. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if uh, Anthony Fauci had that attitude? You know, you guys have different opinions. Let's hear it. Let's hear I, it. You know, I still he was my hero back in the AIDS pandemic. You got to understand this. This is somebody I've followed for my entire career, and so I'm, I, I continue to hope there'll be a reversion to the mean here, where he will be in some way at least appreciated or vindicated, and because right now it does not look good does not look good. But you always do. Dr. Drew Pinsky, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. All right. When we come back, I'll finish up with your calls. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade.
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The House Ethics Committee has announced an investigation into George Santos. Well, thank God I'm not George Santos, said George Santos. <laughs> Fishermen in Florida have discovered a 214-year-old clam that was born the same year as Abraham Lincoln. The clam credits his longevity to staying away from the theater. It's pretty funny. That's very funny. Right? Yeah. Uh, just quick thing. I'll be a Goody Goody Burger. It's a weird name, but they say it's a legendary place in Tampa. For breakfast. For breakfast tomorrow <laughs> from 6 to 9. Yes. So if you want to come down before the radio show. And you don't have to have a burger. Uh, no, I assume they have breakfast. At first they said, why are we at a lunch place? And they said, no, it's breakfast. I'm like, why would anybody who wanted breakfast go to a lunch place? But uh, they say, you know, it's a legendary place in the Tampa area. So if you're in the Tampa area, start driving, if not, and be there tomorrow between 6 and 9. I'll t- I'm going to work the room. You'll probably be on TV. So that, and then we're going to go and do the show from in Tampa. And then we're going to spend a day with Governor DeSantis. Yeah, or so a couple hours. <laughs> a couple hours. We'll, we'll see. Just a typical day for you, doing right. 3 million things with him. And, th- and then we're going to go home. Uh, okay. Same night. Assuming, you know, the airlines cooperate. And, yep. Yeah, we have Nick Swisher coming down from the Yankees, right? And then Jason, who was kind enough to hook this up, just said to me, Brian, why don't you just stay and go to the game? I'm like, have you met us? Like, we, we got to go. We can't stay and go to a game. We got to hop on a plane and go back. Well, or your question is like, well, what kind of package can I shoot at the game so I can continue to work? <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, because I want to be able to write the trip off. Although, this is uh, sweet. If you do want to get me anything, Eric, you didn't, uh, if you're going to get me something that last this year you got me five hour energy. But if you're going to get me something next year, a private jet. That would, I mean, I'd be surprised. So don't worry about that. I will put it on the list. Right. It's private easy jet. to wrap. <laughs> no, you know, in a situation like that, show me a picture. You don't have to wrap. Or just the red bow. That would be great. Yeah, this is the bow on the plane. If you look at it. And then you get something separate. Don't, don't jump in with Eric. You'd have to get something else. Don't be like, me, Eric, and Pete got you this. No, no. You'll still have to get me your own gift. I mean, we could all chip in to buy you oatmeal and five-hour energy, but we can't do it for the plane. Right. One of you get the plane. Okay. Right. You, you do actually pull everything, don't you? And you carry it in. You give me survival goods. You're like, if I'm going to go camping with almond milk. I mean, basically. <laughs> basically, we buy you anything that either you don't need to add anything to or hot water, and then you're good. Right. And so far, I've been doing this thing. It's effective, but I don't really eat anything besides a cu- have a cup of coffee up until noon. How long have I been doing this now? It's been a while, right? I think so. Of course, I mean, I'm just, what do you tell me? You don't this know. So- you, have you seen me eat anything? Today, no. For a while. A Maybe. long time. It's a long time. But it's not really working. Why not? You know what? Maybe it is well. You seem happy enough. See ya. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.